0: On this week's Bet the Process podcast, we have a very, very special guest, a guest who is transcending the world of sports betting into pop culture, Jeopardy James. And I will say that it's the definitive Jeopardy James interview, especially when he pays Rufus and I a compliment that we certainly don't deserve. Then we'll be following up and talking a little bit about Rufus's tour through New Jersey and the sports books and things he encounters there. And finally, coming up with an ethical discussion of being banned at sports books. As always, we're still looking for a sponsor for this podcast, so feel free to line up and give us lots of money to reach our 12 listeners. And so with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet bet the
1: process. Bet, bet. Bet, bet, bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not the typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for pics, you're in the wrong place. Find a town with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking. We're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically
0: driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. We now welcome in Jeopardy James. James our into the bet the process podcast. Um, this is probably, you're probably the most important mainstream guest we've ever had on. Like literally, like I've told people that we're having you on and they're like, Oh my God, I've never wanted to listen to your podcast, but now maybe I will, which is, which is nice. I guess it's a statement to you, but maybe not such a good statement on this podcast. The first question, and, and I, I don't know if you need any introduction at this point. I mean, you're what up to 30 straight and you're obviously crush, Ken Jennings, relatively soon. You're changing the game of Jeopardy, which I really like. And you're making everyone like freak out about this idea that <laughs> analytics might be part of a Jeopardy strategy, etc. The first question I'm going to give you though is a Jeopardy clue, and I'd like to hear your answer. Uh, this Brett Bet the Process co host has a blue check mark next to his name on Twitter. <laughs>
2: uh, I'm gonna guess the answer is it was Jeff Ma based on the uh Very, very good person. Very asking good. Me. Very good.
0: What that's the bane of Rufus' existence, I guess the second question would be this bet the process co-host has more followers than the other one
2: <laughs> who is Rufus
0: yeah, who is well, Rufus because well, we need the complete name don't you have to come? oh
2: who is Ruf- Rufus Peabody? that's right they make you do the last name uh, you get in trouble Can you even
0: pronounce his name correctly unlike how you pronounce dr. dre's name so.
2: Oh, that was a that was a callback. They didn't tell yeah. you. I heard a story. It was like five weeks before the Dr. Dre uh, episode about how my dad used to solve the New York Times crossword. But he would look up all the pop culture phrases, and he told me like I, I memorized the ones that come up all the time, like Dr. Dree. <laughs> that was phenomenal. But uh, yeah, so I had, that, was uh, I that was an me. intentional.
0: That was an intentional mistake. Definitely, Jeffy.
1: you Go didn't ahead. see that, Jeff. You're obviously not watching enough Jeopardy.
2: <laughs> yeah, Man, I listen I to your podcast. You can watch my show.
0: I am. I'm going, I'm going to be religious from this point forward. So I told, I, I, we asked him off the air when the next time he's filming is, and he wouldn't tell us, which means that we don't know, but I almost got him to, to slip up and give us some inside information. I
2: think it's great to be here. Um, When I was 19, my idol was Kevin Lewis, and uh, now my idol is Rufus Peabody, so (laughs) I'm here with both
0: of them. Your life has gone in a bad direction. (laughs) How did this whole game show thing happen for you beyond like after you were, you know, idolizing Kevin Lewis and Rufus Peabody, then you decided to go on game shows? I, I mean, how do you do that? Because like, I feel like I would never have thought to go on one.
2: Yeah, so I guess uh, the dream started, uh, I like to tell people my life course was set out at age 10 because I would come home from school and in the Chicago area, your afternoon TV options were you had Cubs games because they played in the afternoon and everyone else was playing at 7 p.m. And Jeopardy was on at 3.30 p.m. there when most places aired it at night. So, you know, if, if I grew up in an area with normal televised baseball in Jeopardy, you know, who knows what it would have been different. But as it turned out, I got obsessed with baseball stats as a kid. I got obsessed with this idea that I could go on Jeopardy someday. And, and so I would like, guess I would so I took a hiatus from betting sports when I met my wife in twenty eleven and into Seattle, try to start a normal family life with her. And I needed a big project then and then this kind of became the big project was to really buckle down, try to actually get on the show, not just try to get on but try to crush it once I got there. So then what was the process
0: of preparation once you, you got the call? Cause obviously you put some research into this beyond, I don't, I don't want to hear about like how you learned. I think that's been covered ad nauseum, but the children's like, books, right? idea yeah, yeah. of of like how you got to this strategy which clearly is not necessarily the reason you're winning but the reason that you're crushing everything
2: yeah um there's a few parts to this i they have an online test every year and i've taken it every year since 2006 but in 2012 was the first time i actually got an email saying hey you have an audition coming up in a month and a half or something like that and you know i had my holy crap this is real moment i i need to hit the books now i need to not waste this one shot i have that's you know Jeopardy, Success. So I, I think I had like decent trivia knowledge base at the time. I and mean, you've got to be pretty good to even past the online test at all. But there's a lot of room between decent and crusher level. And there were just entire subjects I knew nothing about. Shakespeare, opera, you know. And you, you can't go on Jeopardy and not know anything about Shakespeare. It just doesn't work. So I, I thought, I'm not going to read through every Shakespeare play. That's a complete non-starter. What's something I can do? I started trying like Shakespeare for dummies. And even that was a little dry for my taste. But I found they had... You know, these 40-page long adaptations with pictures in them for teenagers. And I that was really right at my level. You know, I can follow along the story a lot better. So I found they have this for every subject. There's one for Greek myth, you know, one for classic books, all kinds of things like that.
0: Yeah, but more than like learning the answers to the questions, the strategy around how you're playing in terms of the different things that you do, like one, like the I mean, obviously everyone's talked about how you want to uncover the daily doubles quickly and that kind of thing. I I guess like maybe I'll just cut to the chase, which is that Ruth and I got in a little argument about the thing off the air about how interesting it would be to talk to you about the Jeopardy strategy just because it's been played out so much in the mainstream media. And my point to him was that there is like a kind of an incredible sort of bet the process or process sort of lessons around what you do, which, and from my mind is like looking to, you know, embrace variance where you think you have positive EV or, or, or in, increase positive EV, but also like try to reduce variances in, in as many places as possible. So I feel like that probably took some thinking in terms of how you wanted to execute that strategy.
1: Well, yeah, Jeff. Sorry. First off, wait, Jeff, you you said you put it in the words of nobody can ask questions like we can or something like that. We can ask it.
0: In the- <laughs> no, we can. Uh, we can. We can attack this from an angle that most people don't attack it. Right? We we don't ask the stupid like. Oh yeah, I looked at a heat map and I saw the heat map of the daily doubles, so I figured I would ask questions where the the shit was green versus where. <laughs>
2: uh-huh. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Anyway. Yeah, I would say that's definitely the sports better mentality was very helpful. You know, I think most people who go on Jeopardy just, they, they watch the show every day, of course, and they see everyone playing it the same way and they decide, okay, that's just how we should play the game. But, you know, the successful better, you don't go to the sports book and talk to the sports book customers and figure out how to bet sports that way, right? You go, you look, build from the ground up a strategy, of how the optimal player would play this game. You know, you don't just call the $200 clue first because that's what everyone else is doing. You think like, what is the advantage of calling a certain clue right now and control of the board? Really? The only thing that matters is hitting the daily double. And well, to a lesser extent at the beginning of the game is building a pot of uh, chips to bet on your way. Um, I guess using the word chips, that's another important thing is to think about your, your stack as game pieces, not money. You know, I, I think that the normal contestant doesn't have situations in their life where they think about, okay, this, this cash in my hand is not something to buy a car with. It's, something to go make me more money by finding an advantage out there.
0: So that's like an incredible way to, to take away any sort of emotional bias that you might have, right? Like loss aversion or some cost bias or anything like that when you're just measure, you basically are just, at all times almost with the especially once you feel like you've already won all you're doing is is just maximizing EV
2: at that point right yeah and i would say uh trying to let go of emotion out there i've missed i think it's four daily doubles now but you know each time i pick myself up uh, and all of them were all in so you know i just started over at zero and uh, played my best game from there on out and you know that was all i needed and i Next time I had a daily double, I went all in again because that was the right moves at that moment. You know, it doesn't matter what just happened. Uh, when
1: you were watching Jeopardy! growing up, and as an adult, like, did you already know that this is the way to play? And were you f- have you been frustrated that more contestants weren't doing it? Or is it something that once you got close to being on the show, you kind of really looked at?
2: I never thought about this as a kid, you know. I mean, I was, I was 10. I don't know if the strategic concepts would even occur to me back then. But also, it was like a pre-internet age. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Is a fan archive where they put every Jeopardy! episode up and... Gives you a ton of data to work with to figure out what kind of topics are going to keep recurring on the show. I mean, everyone says, oh, they ask about state capitals, geography and history and things like that. But you cannot take it at a more granular level. You know, they ask about the president's. Yes. But there's going to be so many more clues about Thomas Jefferson and Millard Fillmore. You know, you dig deeper on Jefferson and Fillmore, of course, things like that. You can you know, you have a limited amount of brain power to work with. and you. Did you
0: get, worry uh, that that was like a non-stationary sort of uh, data set, meaning like it would change and like what you looked at 10 years ago wouldn't be the same as now?
2: Yes, uh, that's a reasonable concern. Um, yeah, I think I would weight heavier toward the more recent seasons. And of course they have questions about current events and pop culture that could never have popped up before and you know I i have a small kid at home i don't get to the movies very often but uh, i can watch a two-minute trailer on the internet and figure out basically what the movie's about right there so how much
1: how much luck would you say there's been in your run i mean and you've gotten 29 of 30 final jeopardy questions right is that yeah and and You've missed four out of seventy-two daily doubles, and including that, like forty. And you've been forty-four of forty-four on daily
0: doubles and double jeopardy, which is astonishing. Someone's like,
2: got a stats page pulled up on uh, his computer. No, Rufus
0: I He doesn't. He doesn't. This is from his sports betting. He doesn't trust anyone else's data, so he has to create his own data source. So uh, that's every great. And has charted it, and now has the definitive James Holzauer. Holzauer. Yeah, yeah, you have a bias toward the left side of the board, by the way.
2: Oh, interesting. I'm, I'm just making that up. <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> but so so oh, he, here's my question. Though. So you're 94% on daily doubles and like Final Jeopardy even higher. What would you say is like your base rate or what would you expect your base rate to be on those going forward?
2: I would expect maybe 90% on daily doubles. And I think it was about 83 on finals. So yeah, definitely some running good in there. I mean, a lot of these final games are runaways anyway, but you know, if that's I'm betting 50,000 on final, that's an extra 100K in my take-home pay. So Definitely. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to, especially the four Daily Doubles I've missed have all been in single Jeopardy. They've, uh, I've noticed that there have been several times when someone else hit a Daily Double that I would not have known. That's really some run good there. I, w- I will say if I had to play this from scratch, I doubt I would win 30 episodes. So I think I'm running above expectation for sure.
1: Would you rather miss a, da- a daily double in double Jeopardy or single Jeopardy? Especially? Oh, a
2: single for sure, because there's time. I mean, well, I guess it depends on the situation. You know, If it's a, already a runaway game and the last daily double is coming off the board and I just all I lose is the money, that's not a big deal. Yeah, so that situation, yes. But there have been several times when I, I had a can't-miss one and I, I got it at that moment. Even my second game, I bet all in on a daily double that I barely knew because that's which New York University was known as Sadie Lou. And I only knew it because my wife wanted to name our daughter Sadie. Uh, so I know the etymology of the name is Sarah. Uh, without that, you know, I'm a one-time champion. No one's ever heard of.
0: So quick question back, back to going back to your strategy. One of the things that Rufus and I were discussing that I thought was interesting, and maybe I'm like over analyzing this is this idea of pace of play, right? Like when I think about pace of play in, in, in sports, obviously there's a lot of reasons why say the NBA and back in the day when I I talked to Daryl Morey about this and in terms of when the the Rockets this is many many years ago when the Rockets were the first ones that were starting to play fast you know there were a lot of reasons that they were trying to play play fast you know one is is more possessions and two is is they didn't believe that five on five offense was very efficient anymore they would rather play three on three offense or four on four offense all this kind of stuff and and so you know what I think pace of play is part of your strategy. Is that true? And if it is, what are the reasons why you think increased pace of play is is better for you?
2: Um, I'm not entirely sure what you're asking about. I know one thing I've got some flack on the internet for is people think I'm interrupting Alex when uh, he says correct, uh, blah, 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 and I'm just calling out the next clue. What's really happening is, you know, I'm not taking my eyes off the game board. I'm not looking at Alex. I just, you know, once he says correct, I expect him to be done and I'm calling out the next clue already. And all of a sudden he starts saying something else, but I've already started talking and, uh, you know, so that's that. Um, I guess there's another element in that I I'm, Calling from the bottom of the board first, so that if there are unrevealed clues, because we run out of time, there are top of the board uh, clues that are mostly just shootouts. Everyone knows the answers. Less money left on the table. Then, if, yeah, I, if you did not mean either of those things, I don't. No, know. so I mean, I think that, that like, was Jeff's other...
1: point, right? Jeff, I mean, that was definitely your point in terms of like making sure you get. Yeah, making sure the, the entire
0: in, board. In, theoretically, right. if you're a better competitor, the ways the ways you lose. You always want to reduce in any game in any sport you want to reduce variance, right? And so when I think about the different variance things one obviously the daily doubles create variance But because you think you have such positive EV in them, you're gonna bet big The the final jeopardy piece obviously is, is a huge variance piece. It's one question and people are going they're gonna bet a lot so having the game one before final jeopardy is obviously really important, but that's like a duh thing. And the final thing is, is making sure that as many questions are asked as possible. And especially the, the sort of high, the, uh, the higher ones also reduce experience.
1: Right. But how often, like, I, I don't know. I mean, James, you watch jeopardy a lot more than I do. Probably how often are there a lot of clues left on the board at the end?
2: Oh, uh, there's usually not more than a couple, but sometimes if they're a particular reason why the game is going slowly, when, when, Nobody answers the questions. That takes longer than when uh, people are buzzing in all the time. They call them triple stumpers. Usually there's a lot of triple stumpers. You'll see a bunch of unrevealed clues at the end. Um, Yeah, I will say that, like, obviously everyone wants to have the game and run away for final, but I think I placed a higher premium on reducing the variance of that round than other people did. I feel like when I'm watching a lot of shows, you know, it reminds me of a team in the fourth quarter in football. They're not trying to put the game away or, you know, put themselves in the best position you'll see like, say I have like half of Rufus's score and I hit a daily double, you know, I would go all in in that spot. But what I see people do a lot is try to bet really small, make sure they have at least half the leader stack going into final, so they're not out of it. You know, it's, it's like, it's very silly to me, you know, punting with a three point lead instead of uh, going for icing the game right there. That's a really, really good point right there. Yeah. Okay.
0: okay, last question on this. And this was one that Rufus and I had a little bit of bet on. Of the, you know, and this is like a classic raised by Asian Americans question, like I would come home to my dad and be like, hey, I got a 99 and he'd be like, well, I was 100, what did you miss? Let's talk about the 32 questions you've missed. <laughs> of those 32
1: questions. Jeff, you called them easy questions, by the way. So <laughs> no, maybe point. you should Don't be on there. I know you're, that I know one-tenth of the questions, and I'll admit to that.
0: <laughs> you're leading the witness. My question is, of those 32 questions you missed, how much of them was a function of you not knowing the answer or you trying to answer too quickly and therefore like, basically, like, not answering correctly. Why would he try to answer too quickly? I mean, like, he has, like, two seconds. Like, you have, like, what, five because seconds a, to answer? The pace, you're not. <laughs> you're not so, letting so you he's going the question. Uh, okay. The bet's off, Rufus. The bet's off. <laughs> well, we influence the witness to the point where the bet's off? So, James, because you are our guest, we'd love to know the answer.
2: Uh, I would say that I mean I don't have the list of 32 questions in front of me but I would say that's like no more than five what I've gotten with an extra minute to think about you know some of them are just tough or my mind went down the wrong track uh, you know there's one where like they asked this question about a movie where there's two hitmen and some boxing and uh, Mex- yeah, they get mixed up in crime and I thought like oh boxing mixed up in crime that's snatch, right and you know Pulp Fiction never occurred to me uh, because my mind had already gone down the wrong alley. Um, I. Would say, yeah, like maybe five out of 32. If you gave me five minutes, I would have puzzled it out. Most of them just, you know, oops. But were there any that you
1: hit the buzzer? Did you hit the buzzer knowing that you, well, did you, did you hit the buzzer knowing that you weren't sure about it? Or was it was, he hits like, the I guess, it was Jeff regardless, <laughs> right? you were hitting the buzzer. Well, so that, buzzer I guess guess that's the what Jeff's asking. No, no, he hasn't hit, like, because there's, there's ones when you don't hit the buzzer, right? If you know you don't know, you're not going to answer.
2: This was yeah. a very infrequent thing. I would say like five times in the 30 games we've watched. So I don't know who wins this bet. Uh, <laughs> maybe you set a line beforehand.
0: No, no, this, this is actually like a totally different thing. My, my point, my, my, the question Rufus didn't want me to answer this question. Cause he thought it was a stupid question. So basically the point behind it was because you're trying to play as fast as you can. You, you get yourself into situations where you, you answer incorrectly versus like if you had had more time. And I think you kind of answered it when you said if you had had more time, there's only about five of them that you would have gotten right. So maybe Rufus is correct. Yeah, like and, and I, would, I would said five minutes though. He said another minute, doesn't he? Another minute. Okay, oh, right. But, but that's Rufus, okay. How, how do you argue with me when I'm telling you you're right? <laughs> I mean like- <laughs> I want full credit, you know, Jeff. <laughs> What's that? I just gave you credit. You're right. I want to rub it in your face. bet where you no. win nothing, you win more nothing.
2: Anyways. Ken Jennings has said that he uh, often buzzed in without knowing the answer, knowing that it would come to him in that time. But I just didn't do that. I didn't trust myself enough. I mean, there were times when I thought I was maybe only 70% correct and that was enough for me to ring in. That's yeah,
0: crazy. I, so your reaction time then is, is you actually, I would have actually thought you just try to be the first one no matter what and just hope that you'll know the answer because you probably are going to know the answer. But it's, it's not that case.
2: Well, he has time, yeah.
0: right? You, you have time while the question's being read
2: right yeah you, um you know good players will read ahead of alex they'll uh puzzle out the answer in the time that it's taking him and then once you have the answer in your head your focus is on buzzing in at the right moment now i will say that that focus on buzzing might uh distract you a little bit from your pure goal of answering the question right um that might have cost me one or two here there
0: okay <laughs> let's go to uh sports betting which is what our podcast is all about um How'd you get into sports betting in the first place? I think, I think I saw, saw some things and you've kind of alluded to the fact that you were kind of interested in baseball, et cetera.
2: Yeah. Uh, I grew up super obsessed with baseball stats. You know, we didn't have the internet back then, but I would collect all the cards in the set, plug all the numbers into Excel and try to, uh, you know, puzzle out from those numbers. Hey, who's really the best player in the league? That kind of thing. Um, I got into fantasy sports later when that became a big deal on the internet and you know, I, Didn't have anything to do in college because I wasn't going to class. (laughs) I was playing online poker and playing fantasy sports. Plenty of time to devote to this puzzle of like, hey, who are the good players going to be this year? And then it occurred to me, hey, I can expand that to who are the good teams going to be this year. And, you know... I remember having a conversation with my dad when I was about 13 years old saying I wish there were a stock market for sports teams because I would trade that for a living. Fast forward eight years, such a thing really exists. You know, who knew? (laughs) It's not really very public information how the sports betting marketplace works, but it's really so many parallels to finance. So Um, did you move... did you move yeah. to vegas straight out of college It took me a couple of years to do that so i during college i was playing a lot of online poker as i said i ran a uh poker website where there's like strategy advice and if you click through the links we'd get a referral fee for sending you to the card room and that's between so those two things tout. I had an initi- that's a poker, yeah. tout. <laughs> poker affiliate <laughs> poker tout. Um, but between those two things i got a starting bankroll to bet with first that big on the 2006 World Baseball Classic because I was you know trying to run the numbers between the different countries and I figured there's no way that the U.S. and the Dominican Republic could be as big an overdogs I guess you would say, as the market was saying they were. So when they both uh, shit the bed, that was fantastic uh, outcome for me. And then How I made you, a bunch was of. Was there
0: was there a pretty liquid market there? Were you able to get a fair amount down?
2: Well, I, you know what was great back then is that uh, none of the online sportsbooks had banned me yet, and those that <laughs> that hadn't were offering some real juicy stuff there.
0: It's cool. So yeah. futures have been a big part of what you do, right? I mean, that's that's definitely been something that you've talked about.
2: It is less now, but um, the, the baseball futures markets in the mid-2000s when I was getting started were just incredibly juicy. They had, uh, you know, if you compared any good computer model to what was out there, you could find edges of like hundreds of percent on some of the long shots. It was really incredible. So one of my big things I bet on was the 2006 Detroit Tigers. Uh, they were 30 to one to win the division and they did not, but they were up by like 12 games in August or something. So I hedged that out for an enormous profits. Man, I got like 100 on, to one on them to win the pennants, which was, you know, just stupid, stupid line, but it was out there. Uh, I, I got 40 to one on Ryan Howard to win the home run title. when you know, he probably was the favorite. I mean, I'd 50 percent of course but like 10 percent or something like that to, to win the home run title that year but it was his rookie season and you know people didn't pay attention to baseball rookies back then so so what are you so now like
1: i mean when you're not playing jeopardy and um not you know spending family time what is your day-to-day life like is the sports better
2: so you know the busiest things i would say like college football saturdays trying to pick up all the bad halftime lines yeah uh, you guys just reviewed uh, ed and matt's book and they talk about price discovery in there. You know, it's I, I know Matt well. He's educated me on some of the things that I didn't know anything about ten years ago in sports and this like idea of you want to pick off the lines where they had one minute to think about it was really a big thing. So things like football half times are big in play betting if i'm if I, I only do it if i'm watching a game but in play football betting i think they make a lot of mistakes on that i think there's so, a bunch it, of
0: wait can you if you're, if you're watching a game so are there there subjective things that you put in beyond because obviously you have an in game model i would guess right or or is it yeah. all subjective in game
2: yeah i mean uh, a lot of it is just in my head uh, you know i've always been a numbers guy and sometimes in my head i can just think this can't possibly be right and i won't even bother typing it into the model before i fire on it um, but yes there's there's definitely like a you adjust the model in your head for what you're seeing out there. Although, you know, I'm not a scout; I will only adjust for really obvious stuff. So,
1: last week we talked a lot about the idea of trends versus angles, which Ed and Matt talk about in their new book. And so, I, I feel like what you're saying there is like almost you don't necessarily need to have all these stats to know that a line is off, right? You, you, you can you don't have to. You know that that there's a weakness there, and it's better to just pounce on it.
2: But yeah, and I, th- I think especially in football with the point spread, um, you know, you can sometimes think about key number. You know, like if, if the deficit is three right now, what does that mean about the chances of it landing on seven, six, ten, you know, things like that? And I think that a big uh, part of my game is trying to hit a middle on the key number when I see like one sportsbook is dealing plus ten and a half, the other's minus nine and a half, and I think like what is that number worth? It should be more than uh, than we think here.
1: So you don't even need to know which one's right. You just know that there's right. value. There, there are definitely in times where I'll bet both
2: uh, on, the, on that sort of spot. I'll, you know, often I'll go heavier on one or the other, depending on which, which sportsbook is making the line. You kind of uh, use your, your Bayesian math. Okay, if it's bookmaker, you know, they probably know what they're doing here. Are you doing?
0: Do you do much with futures anymore? It mentioned that you obviously you talked about the past stuff, but but futures are are something that we talk a lot about on the show, and in, in terms of the overrounds and whatnot, it being a, a pretty difficult market to beat. But it sounds like that's an area that you you beat. Do are you still beating it?
2: Yeah, I would say um, I don't really do it much except for baseball and football now, and I think that's in football really. One of the big sources of edge that I've had for years and years now, and I'm still waiting for it to disappear, is just uh, the sportsbooks underestimate the advantage going to the one and two seeds. I will virtually never place a futures bet on a team unless they got a really good shot of earning that first-round by Just the math is so, so slanted in favor of those teams. There there are times when they don't understand the tiebreakers. I remember the year the Falcons lost the Super Bowl. Um, Seattle got upset in, was it week 16? Anyway, they, Seattle was then in a position to lose the tiebreaker to the Falcons, and they were still giving great futures odds on the Falcons, like this huge advantage didn't exist. So I was really big on uh, Atlanta that year. Yeah, I, I the, agree about the tiebreakers, honestly. <laughs> <but> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm sure. I mean, like when I run my own numbers, compare them to the Massey Peabody Analytics ones, it's usually really, really close. You know, I mean, you, you're just basically using betting market data there, right? And like a little bit of your, your kind of own subjective stuff. But like it, it turns up these numbers that have a big edge. I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm uh, correct in the no, analysis, no, but... Well, the mass EP, We have our own ratings, but I think mm-hmm. a big part. I mean, part of the value of,
1: of running the simulations and stuff is just the tiebreakers and understanding dynamic uncertainty, understanding that teams can improve and get worse, and and being able to sort of price it properly. I think, and and I and I've, i found the same thing with like the one and two seeds midway through the season. I think the teams that are hoping to sneak into the playoffs or seem locked into like a five seat or something are just not or, or tend to be way overrated by the market because I guess we think that you can kind of, I mean, it's just one more game, right?
0: But one more game has such a huge
1: effect in terms of the odds.
0: Right. What do you think the, you know, the future of sports betting holds sort of for you? I mean, now that this Jeopardy thing has happened, obviously you've, you've built an even bigger bankroll. So theoretically, what are, what are the things that you see in the future? You probably won't be doing Jeopardy forever. What's next?
2: Well, I mean, I'm not sure the bigger bankroll actually makes a difference. I mean, between house limits and my own personal risk tolerance, I'm, already basically betting as much as i want to be on everything so i you know it's definitely diminishing returns there but it does you know kind of make me think okay if i if i don't need the money why am i really still pursuing this you know is it for just the fun of it the challenge i don't know that's a tough question that i'm gonna have to come to grips with i am taking work off right now between uh, you know i feel like baseball is the hardest sport to beat now uh, it sounds like rufus is discovering the heart oh right. yeah <laughs> but yeah between that and the, the crushing weather in las vegas i plan to take a vacation-heavy summer and revisits where I'm going to be. I expect to come back to at least 90% speed of gambling once football, basketball, hockey roll around. But, I, you know, I don't know. And there's, uh, there's some job offers coming in that I never thought would come in before, and I have to weigh in that sort of thing too now.
0: And you can also just do that crazy horse, the crazy horse (laughs) three hosting option. That would be very good for you. You could just, you could do that. You could do a tour of all the strip clubs. Is don't let, don't make them let you sign an exclusive. You could go to (laughs) Sapphire and Rhino and just hit them all up. And they're doing it no matter what, right? So you might as well capitalize on it. They're going to do the I,
2: I think that uh, once they discover what a bad strip club host I am, that's going to be a one-off deal. <laughs> uh,
0: what 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 makes a good strip club host? You just don't think you're going to be very entertaining, or
2: I have to confess, I've never been to a hosted event at a strip club, but you know, I picture <laughs> uh, the type of person they would bring in for this, and it was not me. So.
0: <laughs> that probably makes sense. So where do you think the the do, where do you see inefficiencies in the future in sports betting? It sounds like you have you you identified a couple and you've also identified a couple that have disappeared like what, what would you anticipate will be the opportunity
2: betting specifically I'm not sure I think in play is really the the wave of the future and I'm not sure where the efficiencies will go there but um, one thing I'm really interested in is they have a lot better playing player tracking data coming into hockey and I wonder if we're gonna see a thing like the infield shift in baseball where we discover that teams have been aligning their players wrong this entire time and there's a better way to do it I think we're years from that point, you know, they won't even pull the goalie with less than a minute left yet, but it's exciting for the future.
1: So is there truth to the rumor that you want to get a job in a, in a front office of a, prof- or a major league team?
2: I will tell you for certainty that 20-year-old James was super into this idea. You know, 34-year-old James with a kid and a family and a community he loves in Las Vegas is less excited about the idea of potentially uprooting. But, you know, if I could do Like a consulting thing from home, and uh, they did not require me to stop gambling on the weekends. I think that could be a fun combination. I think writing about this sort of stuff could be really fun.
1: Well, I'm an Orioles fan, and I know some people in that organization, so uh, okay,
2: I'll, I'll try <laughs> to connect you. Either. Are you
0: someone that likes the sweat? Do you do, will you miss the sweat if you quit if you quit sports betting?
2: You know, honestly, I think on some level, that's my least favorite part of the job. I will say, you know, it's fun to get the adrenaline rush from a win, but I would I would say that the losses definitely hurt more than the wins in that regard. So, like, emotionally, it's a net negative. I don't even watch um, a lot of sports anymore that I'm betting on, unless it's, you know, something like the NFL, where I know I can live bet it for a profit anyway, and I might as well get some enjoyment out of watching. Or hockey, I really like watching. But, yeah, uh, most, most sports, if I have a bet, bet on it, I'm less likely to watch, I think.
0: What's your take on the Stanley Cup? Um, uh, you're a Lightning fan, right? <laughs> uh,
2: no, I mean, uh, you know, I'm a Blackhawks and Knights fan, just by virtue of where I've lived. But, uh, yeah. I'm at a mean. Lightning backer. Yeah. You, you know what uh, was great? So I take this episode... Uh, it was going to air in early April, but I taped it right around the time of the Super Bowl. And, you know, I thought, oh, I'll make a joke to Alex about how I'd like to bet with him on uh, the Knights. But the Knights could have easily been eliminated from playoff contention by then, and I would sound stupid. So I, I figured I'll pick a team that's guaranteed to be in the playoffs at that point. Say so I like them and, uh, you know, just try a little uh, joke to go to him. But apparently Alex doesn't gamble. He uh, he says he could win a $1,000 gambling and it wouldn't matter to him, but he would lose 20 and It would piss him off, so...
0: If you go back to this whole idea, and, and I, I saw a great thing where you, the, the Jalen and Jacoby thing where they talk about you and they talk about 86ing you from from, uh, from Jeopardy, it's clear that you've been good for Jeopardy, right? I mean, the, the, the ratings have gone up, et cetera. But let's just say that after the fallout or, or whatnot, or let's just say they really wanted to get you off what are things that they could change about the game that that you would think would would make it difficult for you to win? Or if you were on that other side trying to rig it against you, what would you do? Uh,
2: Well, I would first consider the potential ramifications of rigging a game show, of course. You know, I I just want to get it out there that everything there is above board. But hypothetically, I mean, there's a lot of things you could do. You could make the questions easier. Honestly, that's uh, one way to do it, is eliminates the information edge. Uh, Just toss a really killer daily double in there. You know, if you know I'm going to, be betting all in, then that's you know I, I just wipe out my stack and that's that. They could eliminate the buzzers, of course. I have a big edge on the buzzer,
0: and then maybe move so, move the daily doubles around some. Or I mean, what, do you well, think they've done? I mean, would they? I mean, I guess the question is like if it's non-random what they where they put the Daily Doubles, starting to move them wouldn't necessarily be rigging a game show at that point, right?
2: Uh, well, I mean, the thing is, like, I think the language is specific that if you're favoring a particular contestant over another, uh, now, you know, I, I'm not a lawyer, I wouldn't want to go to court and try to prove the intent uh, there, but what, what, in this hypothetical it's very much to rig it against one player. Um, I will say, like, you know, Daily Double Hunting, it does provide some edge, but you know, the big thing is I'm in control of the board most of the times because I... Uh, giving more right answers than anyone else call it buzzer speed knowledge whatever but you know I'm going to hit more daily doubles than anyone regardless of whether I'm hunting for them so in now, terms of the contestant, contestant,
0: sorry one more question wait. if you were if you were a contestant competing against you what would you do differently what would you uh, do to try to beat you
2: gosh i mean like just coming from my perspective you know this is i formulated this game plan because i thought it was the best way to play so i would just play the james strategy and some of them are trying to mimic it you know with varying degrees of success uh, There's been a few really tight games and I feel like the people who kept it really close were playing the James approach and they just, you know, got James beat to one approach. or two questions too many. And that was the deciding game, the game right there.
0: My son's name is James. So this is cool. Yeah.
2: So in terms of the daily double hunting,
1: um, do you have like a, spe- do you, is there a specific probability that you found for each row or, you know, and, and I mean, I've, I've seen some of these heat maps and it looks like, um, you know, nobody like they haven't specifically said, okay, You're literally asking
0: is- him the heat map question. Right?
1: <laughs> is,
2: has this been asked a lot? Uh, no, I mean, but it's no, just, it was no. just
0: the joke I made was like, we don't want to like talk about the analytics of him being able to read a heat map. That's all.
2: <laughs> Believe it or not, the uh, the Washington Post author who doesn't really watch Jeopardy, but got assigned to this story anyway, did not ask about the heat map. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I did not assign specific probabilities to anything. If you look at Jeopardy data, you can find that there are trends of uh, where these things are more likely to pop up than others. But I certainly didn't stand up there saying like, okay, it's 8% here versus 6% uh, there. I'm going to go to the 8%. No, I was just like quick heuristic of it's more likely to be in that box.
1: And in terms of the categories, are you going for, like if you if you're between two different categories, you're going for the one that you feel like you have the best knowledge base
2: for whatever that level is. Uh yeah, I would say that. And you know, just whatever I uh happen to think would best benefit me. You know, that could be either I need I need dollars right now, let's go for the dollars, I need the daily double right now to disarm the opponents, let's go for it. That was that was more those two are more important than uh the familiarity with the category. Unless the category is Monty Python phrases, then I avoid it. <laughs> so so the-
0: the, the idea of disarming the the competitors now that's a classic sort of like uh uh non-analytical thing to measure but it sounds like it plays in your strategy so you do try to there is sort of this idea that that you can put these guys into like a on tilt at some level <laughs>
2: um yeah i mean I've, i guess if you eliminated all three daily doubles from the game uh I think that would help me, honestly. It would reduce the variance involved. Uh, but given that I have to play in a game with these rules, what is the best thing I can do? Um, you know, hitting a daily double gives you two things. First of all, it gives you the opportunity to answer a question. You're a huge favorite uh, for it. pays even money. But also, you're taking this, the best weapon that an opponent has to take you down out of their hands. So that's definitely a huge uh, deal right there.
1: Interesting. Do you think you'd have fewer runaway games, though? Wouldn't it increase the importance of Final Jeopardy if you didn't have Daily it? Yeah, Devils? well, okay. That's
2: a fair point, too, I guess. Um, but, you know, if you have, even if it's not a runaway, you can be in a spot where you have to hit the parlay of you getting the question wrong and the opponent getting it right. So if I think I'm getting final wrong only 17% of the time, and it's probably one of the harder ones, if I've gotten it wrong, then, you know, maybe I'm in a spot where I'm only 5% to lose anyway, which is probably better than I started the game with.
1: So let's say you were... Your opponent and you were competing against you with let's say your opponent with their knowledge base if you were still in it would they would you bank on um your would you bank on you losing sorry this is getting confusing now yeah. but, but but would you would you would you go for um would you force them to lose or would you try to risk enough that I mean how would you how would you wager against yourself in that situation? Sorry, I'm not asking. Uh, this very so, well.
2: so I'd have to be in a spot where you're talking about a spot where I'm in second place and I can bet zero and if the leader gets it wrong, he has to bet so much uh, that he goes below my score. Yes. For yes, for him would, to guarantee
1: himself a win.
2: I think that it's probably the best play in that spot to bet small and hope uh, the leader knocks himself out. But you know it's a it's a tricky game theory question. If you never Bet big, then what incentive does the guy in first place have to do it? And if you look at these spots historically, what happens is the first place guy bets big, and the second place guy bets nothing. And you know how many times does that pattern have to repeat itself before you decide to switch up the game? It's a uh, it's an interesting interesting uh, game theory problem.
1: Right. It's like how often does loss loss happen versus win win?
2: Right. Or versus loss win. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I guess there there can be times also where you're in, in second place, you have enough money that you can make a sizable bet and still be safe uh, to cover on a loss-loss scenario. This happened last Thursday. I was playing against Nate, who played, you know, just an absolute killer game against me, but, uh, you know, just came up a little bit short at the end. So how has your life changed
1: as a result of, of Jeopardy fame? I mean, you know, James Holzhauer was not a household name. Two and a half months ago, two months ago, and, yeah, and um, now
2: you're the biggest yeah, celebrity the we've Bet ever had podcast. on the Bet the Process <laughs> podcast by far. So, uh, well, yeah, that's that's an interesting <laughs> question. I mean, you know, I never saw publicity for uh, sports gambling before. Uh, I did. There was a brief time in 2007 where I was first getting started that I released my uh, my picks on the Two Plus Two sports betting forum. But other than that, you know, I've never really been out there trying to. Publicize myself, so it's it's an interesting dynamic now. I would say that my day to day hasn't changed that much, except I got to you know respond to a lot of interview requests. But other than that, you know, I'm still taking my kid to class, take, going to the store. A lot more people in the grocery store want to chat with me now. But other than that, you know, it's really hasn't changed that much. But you know, the the obvious but is like there's people who want to work with me now, and maybe they just want to hit the James name while it still has brand name value or something. Maybe they just want to picture me being in their organization for 10 years. I don't really know, but uh, that, that will be the big uh, thing. Notice everyone, it says in their email, if they just want to have a conversation, (laughs) what is that supposed to mean?
0: (laughs) For us, that meant having a pod being on a podcast. Did you not know that's what we meant? So we just want to have a conversation. (laughs) So, uh, anything else for him, Rufus uh, I have one last question and uh, which is essentially what what do you think you would do if you weren't a sports better and you weren't a jeopardy uh, champion? champion oh God I don't I don't
2: know I mean <laughs> I you know I probably could at some point adapt to like working a nine to five job that I'm not passionate about but it's really bugs me no idea, you wouldn't to, there's
0: no chance that you would ever do that right you would have found another hole to exploit and gone after that in a way that's interesting
2: maybe but you know i mean it's not that easy to find these holes uh you know like i i guess i i could have tried becoming one of these uh people who monitors local electronic stores for sales and tries to flip things on ebay for a profit i don't know that's <laughs> but i yeah it, i i don't know it advantage play in some other venue but really you know what other advantage play venues are out there i'm not sure
0: that's true like you are the in this jeopardy situation you're sort of the ultimate advantage player which is which is kind of a cool way of looking at it and that's that's probably why you know i thought we could talk to you about this in a way other people couldn't um rufus other questions before we let him get back to uh, his children's books no that's it that's all i got so that was Jeopardy James, James Holzhauer, who I'm really proud to say I named my son after now, which is cool. What did you think of that interview? I, th- I, thought, it was, I thought it was fascinating. And I thought it was fascinating. fascinating. I think the Jeopardy stuff was more fascinating than you gave it credit for. Like you didn't think we should talk about that. I agree. I, just, I, I wish we had
1: recorded our discussion before we started recording.
0: You and I, or you, me, and him? No, the three of us. When we were talking about what? I don't even remember, but I just thought, I just. (laughs) No, I thought the regular stuff was good. And I, I do, I mean, I think one of the things I think that's interesting is I know that we got into this and probably no one wants to hear me talk about this anymore, but I do think the pace of play is something that he is um underestimating it's just something that he it's so natural to him as a strategy that he's not think he's not almost intentionally thinking about it do you know what i mean i i completely disagree
1: okay. i i i think the pace of play thing i mean if you're going to have like two or three clues that that you don't get to i mean that's not a huge difference but but no, did you know, just and, and about, also talking, they I'm have a certain cool. amount of time to fill they
0: have a I know, but I'm talking about all the things, right, that the pace of play also does. It it part of the pace of play is that it helps him control the board. It throws of it opponents is, off guard. Part of it is yeah, it throws his opponents off guard. Part it's, this is all part of the same thing. That what I'm saying is that he may not intentionally be doing it and, and being as sort of like thoughtful and overanalyzing as I am, and, and maybe and, and I admit it, you're more right in the situation than I am. But I do think it's interesting to think about the analogies of sort of the ancillary impact that pace of play in say basketball or in football all these all these analytical things are about sort of playing fast and why do you play fast like well, the that, strategies like in in right in in football like the best analytical teams are playing fast and in baseball the best i sorry in in, uh, in basketball the best analytical teams have played fast
1: well the best teams are playing fast but that it's a, a, they're playing fast because they are the best teams because if you're the best you want to reduce your variance whereas well, if so you're a, also, if you're a bad team you want to increase the variance is he yes. not the best also that's the point he's, he's the best answering the questions i think we can agree on that and and, and he's also the best if it at is, the buzzers
0: it's just on the margin isn't analytics always just on the margin yeah okay okay so I'll, I'll give you that i'll give you that so do you want to tell me about your your time in in uh, the garden state
1: Oh, I, I was down in New Jersey, Jersey Shore, for the weekend with my girlfriend and some of her friends. When's your girlfriend We're now? our friends? Day. That's what we all want to know. This is not podcast discussion, Jeff. I um, just discussed it on I the I hope podcast, she's not listening. So I beg to differ. Um, at some point. We will, we will see when, but um,
0: <laughs> anyway. Rufus is turning red. Now that we do video, uh, I can see that Rufus is turning red. This is awesome. Move on. Think,
1: anyway, I was down there and I decided I would place some bets on some NFL regular season win futures, just because what better, what, what, you know, what's better than tying up your money for like seven or eight months. Right. Um, and so, mm-hmm. and, and some, and I played some golf bets while I was down there too. And so, uh, I, I didn't really place bets in a ton of books. I think I, I covered like five or six of them, but it gave me a kind of a, I got to sort of take in the, the scenery of uh, the Jersey sports betting ecosystem. And it, it was quite interesting. I, I, um, I, there was some things that were surprising and, uh, some things that, I mean, and, are and you many going to deprived. talk in specifics? You
0: wanted to talk. Okay. About?
1: Okay. I, I will talk in specifics. Well, <laughs> first off, first off William Hill took $5,000 bets for me on golf round matchups, which was incredible, but, but I, I lasted six hours there. Um, before I got the boot so
0: or or so that's
1: like reduced to $50 because
0: when you deposit they know who you are yeah right so and and they let you bet into them so what changed in that six hours that made them did did it did did they finally get their shit together and actually like look you up on the internet and were they able to dub like
1: Rufus Peabody or so I I called customer service about it because you can't find out at the counter you know I got limited to $50 and they said like call customer service and so I did. And, and they said that, that they had looked, they communicated with William Hill in Nevada and found out that I was banned there. And so they can't ban me in New Jersey, but they can limit me. And so uh, that's what they did. And so I'm guessing when I sign, I'm guessing they don't just do that to everybody when they sign up, it probably just isn't an efficient use of their time, or maybe they don't have the computer system to do it. But that one, based on the bets I was placing, I think it warranted further scrutiny and that's when they saw this. And so, you know, I, my bets went, three and two,
0: but I noticed I was only no, I mean, limited
1: after it was, after it was well, I was one and two at that point. So it, it yeah, had nothing it was, to do with whether that's one no, or
0: not. It was, it was them getting their shit together and actually talking to William Hill in, in Vegas, which it seems ridiculous that, that they even let you get those down.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was, but you know what that says, if I'm a recreational better, like, um, or, or a sharp better that hasn't bet at William Hill before. I mean, I like that. I mean, they're actually taking decent limits there, you know, just only, uh, yeah, but how quickly
0: are they going to? Yeah, so, uh, okay. And then what? What other things happened in so, trip around New Jersey, New so, Jersey Shore? Did you see the situation? The situation? I did not.
1: I was in South Jersey. I not know the difference. But there was one policy I do. Uh, I, I encountered at FanDuel where they told me if I deposit cash into the app, that I have to bet through at least half of it before I can withdraw any money from there. Which. They said is an anti-money laundering thing, and this this isn't related to getting any sort of deposit bonus or anything. But and and I don't know if if it. I mean, personally, I do, I just don't understand how that would combat money laundering. If somebody deposits ten thousand dollars in cash and then takes out ten thousand dollars in cash, it's still cash, and it's still it's the money is still dirty if it was dirty to begin with. But um, but I I feel like the policy definitely um, has sort of a predatory has predatory implications in the fact that if let's say I deposit 500 bucks into a book, into the book, and I want to bet, you know, I want to do some live betting or something. And, you know, I I had to drive to the Meadowlands to deposit this cash. And so I I feel like I'm going to, I'd rather deposit more than less. So I don't have to drive back. But let's say I find out that, you know, I, there weren't that many great live betting offerings or something. And I, I, have a few yeah, bets. No, I, bet, I bet a hundred bucks and then I want to like take my money out. I can't do that. So I or, think that it, it, well, what
0: th- what would happen if they banned you? That's the real question. What if they limited you and they limited you so much that it wouldn't. Did right. You
1: ask- I, I think I did. And, and and they said that they would be, they would, they would take my, they would be able to get my money out in that case. And, but, but I think and anybody that wanted to could probably get their money out, but I don't think they would be able to bet with them again. And so I just, I personally don't like the policy. Um, I think it's something that came over from the European operators. And I just, I mean, I, I think it encourages people to bet more to be able to get their money out. And, and it's, I, I don't think they should be required to, to do that. I mean, I think it's in terms of the problem gambling side. I mean, I, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's good. What do you think?
0: No, of course it's not good. I mean, but I, I mean, I would, I would give them the benefit of the doubt and be like, yeah, it's, it's probably anti money laundering and it's not, I'm not, I'm not I, saying I, I the would, intention is bad. I'm just saying no, that the, I, the, the I reality the result of, it that. of it is very bad because I don't think that's fair. Like, it, it, but like, there's a lot of weird things, you know, that we have to deal with in the society with, with cash. Like as, as people that have dealt with cash in their lives, there's, there's things that you're doing that there's nothing wrong with, but you get scrutiny for moving a lot of cash around because like a lot of bad things happen with people moving cash around. Right. So this isn't, this isn't a new thing. And gambling generally is something that has been used in the past for money laundering and whatnot. Um, anyways, uh, to this whole idea of, of getting banned at William Hill. Um, now you talked about this on Twitter and you talked, did a poll around what do you think the legitimate or are there legitimate? What are legitimate reasons for being banned at a sports book? And you got a variety of answers. And I think you and I have always had like a very different perspective on this. And my perspective comes from having been a successful card counter who continued to get banned. And part of the game of card counting was the cat and mouse of being able to sort of like, you know, beat the casinos and, and not get banned. But when you got banned, it was sort of an inevitability that you didn't necessarily question from a constitutional rights standpoint, right? I mean, yes, I could disagree with it, but I also could understand that at the end of the day, it's their business and they have the right to do whatever they want. And I need to go find another place. So I I guess I just have a more resigned attitude towards this than you. Um, It seems like you still feel like this is a big injustice. Well, it was more of an ethical question. I I was honestly curious.
1: I wasn't talking about being a winning better. I mean, I, I posted something, for example, past posting, which is if a line is up, they, they forget to take a line down after a game begins and you can bet um, at the pregame line. I mean, is that, does that warrant being banned? You know, if you're, if you're just mis- abusing um, bookmaker mistakes, does that warrant being banned? So how about this, Jeff, why don't we go through some potential reasons that I've gotten and, and you tell me whether you think that that warrants a ban or, or you think it's justified from a, I mean, not, not legal perspective, obviously, cause it's all legal, but from a, Ethical perspective, or or you think solid bookmaking practice?
0: Okay, go for it. Let's
1: okay. So, having a faster data feed than the provider, no, or or court siding, being at a, betting while you're at a game. So if I'm at I a don't. Washington Wizards game or something, and I I can pull up a lot, and, and I realize that I'm like two seconds faster uh, than the fee that the the bookmakers have. Is that
0: worth? Should I be so, banned for that? Okay, we're gonna have to make a distinction here. Okay. The distinction here is gonna be ethical versus unethical. Okay. In that fair. case, I think in that case, I think that's ethical. Should you be banned for it? I mean, I could see a situation where they're just like, this is bad business for us, and we we just don't and, and you know, this is like goes back to like the Phil Ivy, you know, Baccarat thing you know, at, at the end of the day, the buyer beware, they should, they should be able to, to know what's going on, but they also should make decisions. And if that does, the data is all in front of them, meaning like they know that, that, that you have this advantage, they maybe have the right to tell you that, that they don't like to book your action if you have this advantage. So I'd probably say that's, I mean, one, I think it's ethical for you to do that, but two, I think they probably have the right to ban you in that situation. You think it's ethical to, so to court side to be at a match? Yeah, of course. Specifically not, to try to... Yeah, of course. It's not you, illegal. It's not like I know it's doing, not illegal, but... No, no, I, I mean, but part of ethicalness in my mind is whether things are legal or not to some degree. Okay. So, okay, so um, I, I think that's ethical, but I also think that they have the right to ban you.
1: Okay. Um, so what about syndicate betting? This is
0: one thing that books have
1: have told me that they ban people from or limit people for or banned for, I should say. Uh, so, so by that, I mean, pop having multiple accounts pop things at the same time, which basically makes it difficult for a book to manage their risk. Because if you're normally moving on one bet, you know, if you're, if, if you're getting 10 t- like one limit bet, if you're getting, you're getting 10 limit bets at the same time, um, it's circumventing limits,
0: ethical. Yeah, unethical. I, I think that's, I think that's bannable. Okay. But I thought we were doing ethical, unethical. I think that's I think that's I think that's unethical and and banable. Interesting. You think that that's unethical but but
1: court-siding is ethical. I I'm I'm a little surprised.
0: Well, the reason I say it's unethical is because you're like circumventing their rules and like something that seems like a reasonable rule for for them to do the business that we want them to do. Does that make sense? Like they, we want them to be able to take, you know, reasonable size bets from individuals and we want them to, to feel comfortable with being able to do that because they can adjust the market based on those bets. But if you create a situation where they're not able to do that by coordinating these almost like attacks on them, then I'm not saying that it's, it's a gray area, but I definitely would understand why they would ban group accounts like that do you think it's become more of a problem because
1: books have lower limits? I.e., would, we have the same, would there be the same issue if books just accepted more, uh, higher wagers?
0: Um, I don't know. I mean, you just, you just heard je- you heard Jeopardy James talk about the idea of just je- general like, liquidity and things like that. People are always going to be getting, trying to get more and more liquidity. It's definitely, it's definitely an issue, more of an issue, sure. I mean, uh, you, you'd be, it'd be silly to say it wasn't more of an issue because the limits were lower.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it, it, it's a bigger issue because of the limits, but it would probably be an issue because people are always trying to get down more, right? Winning betters. Yeah, for sure. Um, winning.
0: Ethical unethical totally unethical okay totally unethical and um, I think a a silly silly reason for for sports books to be able to ban you Um, (laughs) and also a dumb reason because like ultimately like they they need to understand more of what the process by which you went beating them this is the classic like um, card counting thing right like we would get banned more quickly obviously if we were winning than if we were losing and we would be doing the exact same thing right so like that that's that's the thing that drives kind of drives me crazy is that even sports books they'll take certain types of action all the time but then once you start winning they'll like freak out about why you're winning and they'll freak out and then they'll they'll ban you with no real difference in what your methods were than what they were before
1: I think it makes sense, though, just because a book has or a casino has a limited amount of resources and they don't they can't give the same scrutiny to everyone. It just doesn't make sense uh, for them. I mean, with staffing and all that. And so if you start winning,
0: you get more scrutiny. Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. Um, I'm just saying it's it's a it's a not a smart it's not smart. No. It. So,
1: OK, um, here's a good one. Inside information.
0: Well, I guess it just depends what you mean by the inside information. Like it continual, continual information that around say, um, like injuries and things like that, or, or like one specific team that's that, you know, better than anyone else. And, um, let's say you have a tip about some players injuries, the player being injured
1: and not, um, going to play or like in the NBA, I think it's a big thing, right? I mean teams sit stars for games. If if you're constantly consistently on the correct side of that, I mean, I think a book could infer that you might have some inside information there.
0: Yeah. I would say that that is um, ethical to do. And I think it, for me, a little bit of it depends on like how you get that information. Right. Because that's a good point because the, the, like the, the, the extreme on this or like the continuum on this is what if you are somehow influencing that information in other words like what if you are then then you get into sort of like what are you fixing matches at that point at some level right are you let's say that like you know that kevin durant is 50-50 and you know he's his you know calf is is strained but he could probably play and what if you told his doctor you know, you gave him some money or something like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the idea of like inside information is a continuum. And I don't think it's like, so, so clear. Um, certainly like knowing or finding a best source to understand what's going on is, is not wrong. Um, knowing that there's, you know, there, there's been times in my life where I've, I've talked to executives and I've, um, you know not wanted to know information just because i haven't wanted to necessarily put that person in an awkward position or even be in an awkward position myself where i feel like i have an unfair advantage you know that i'm using a relationship that i have almost like unfairly right like early on in the sports betting days there were executives that that weren't necessarily even thinking about that from a standpoint of like what could i be influencing by um you know but like i i have i have you know, executives that are good friends that all like call to talk to about things just as a fan and be very careful to not ask questions that would be an awkward situation. Does that make sense? So there that is like a sense. weird there is like a weird ethicalness to this where there's a line that's being drawn. Now, would I like scour everything on Twitter to find out if someone's playing that's a critical person in a game? Yeah. So but for some reason for me I draw some sort of ethical line around whether I would want to you know leverage something that that no one else had um and honestly like put someone in a potentially in a bad position
1: so the distinction there is kind of public information versus private inside information yeah that i think you that's have a based good way. on a relationship but i think, I think information information is on a continuum i mean is it if i have a better data set than everybody else is that inside information i mean you could argue it is in a way it's I mean, there's two ways to win at sports betting: having better information and being able to process the information better.
0: Yeah, but but what we're saying, I think, is like some level of this idea of like public versus private, and even that's not like necessarily a binary thing; it's like a continuum, also. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's a that's a tough one. Like like ethical questions are tough because there's no often there 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 is a gray area. Yeah. Any, okay. Any other ones.
1: Moving on. Um, other ones were harassment of staff.
0: Yeah, In that's general
1: awesome. assholeishness. Yeah, you
0: should you should totally be able to get banned for that.
1: Um, using fake social security numbers. So <laughs> yes. that,
0: that that was not. You should be able James to get banned me. for that, but um, continue, you can't like leave a podcast without talking about Vegas Dave. I, you're the one talking about him. Continued abuse
1: of, of line errors, basically just <laughs> waiting for, let's say, a book is posting live numbers, and you're just basically sitting around yeah. waiting for. A typo or some sort of well, so, mistake. So,
0: they're not, so very seldomly are they, those bat, bets even going to go through, right? They're going to reject those bets after the fact.
1: Well, they can't in a legal U.S. book. But, mm.
0: Well, didn't they do that in New Jersey with that whole, uh, with that whole situation with the future? With no, the,
1: they paid the guy. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know legally what they can do in New Jersey. I know in Nevada that bet would have had to stand because tickets go as written. Hmm. But what a book would do in that situation would be... What about
0: online? What about in the app? Do they still have to do that even if it's in Nevada, if if you do it online?
1: I believe so. I mean, I I, I don't know because I guess when the rules were written, um, tickets were... I I, I would take tickets to mean bets, but I I don't know what the actual uh, verbiage of, of the law is. I would say yes. I would say it has to go certain... What, what is, did
0: Clinton? Who who, did, who is the person that was uh being um oh i did not have is, sex with to that one is is sexual relations is, is, like anyways um yeah all right uh, any, any other ones any others nope. i think um someone said vpn use um oh vpn use is interesting yeah vpn you should totally be able to be banned from that because most be people use
1: a vpn anyway just to protect their privacy because right, but they don't doing, want Google getting everything. Circumvent,
0: circumvent rules that someone has. Of course you should be able to be banned. Yeah. Because no. el- you're basically doing something illegal in that case and you're violating their terms of service. So that that one seems as, as black and white to me as possible. So, okay. So can we – I think
1: let's bring this all together. Um, you, I, I would – your thesis on this sort of seems like as long as you're doing things in the – I don't want to say spirit – there's a certain like spirit of
0: yeah, no, I think that's fair. I mean, I think, I think that's the, pro- the problem with a lot of these things is like, you have to, you have to have your own personal interpretation of what the spirit of the rules are. And for me, like I have a very different one than potentially someone else does and, and vice versa. And like at the core, this is why we have laws, right? <laughs> because everyone's like rules are different. And so someone has to consider, has to talk about what are laws and what are rules and what are regulations. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I just think part of it
1: is it, it is just a cat and mouse game, and and, and betters are having to react to the fact that it's hard to get down, um, and some books will not take winning betters, and so they have to find ways around that. So, I mean, I, I can under I can understand why they do some of these things. Um, not that that makes it right.
0: Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's that. I I may tell if, if Jeffrey James is listening to this, I think if he does this crazy horse three thing, you and I should just go and and meet in Vegas with him and, and see this thing, see this thing through. I'm 100% in. Yeah. I think that's, that's our promise, James, if you happen to make it to the end of this podcast, that's our promise to you. So maybe, maybe we'll, we'll follow that up via email or something like that. But I I think that that is a once in a lifetime situation. We'll be your entourage. (laughs) You can be who would you who would you be in entourage? You'd be kind of be like Johnny Drama, I think. I'd be Johnny Drama. I kind of think so. <laughs> I mean, I'd be like, You'd be like a mixture between Johnny Drama and he'd be kind of be like uptight, but also like you know whatever. And I would kind of be like turtle, like a total wannabe all the time. So I thought you were going to say you were Vince Definitely. or Ari. You're not I'm Ari. Vince or Ari. I'm neither of them. I may be Ari from the asshole standpoint, but besides that, not really Ari. So. Anyways guys thanks for listening and we'll talk to you all in
1: a couple of weeks.
2: bye